Hi, we're in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast. We have a great guest. We have Alex Baer, who is an international relations graduate, and he's a Fulbright scholar in Colombia. Uh, we have he Alex here to, to talk about the, the protests in Colombia. So, hi, Alex. Hey there, how's it going? So, I, 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 I think one of the... the The curious issues about the protests in, in Colombia are the different narratives about it, because I think that uh, in in the English-speaking press there has been a lot of, of focus lately about the the, the fact that it, it started as a as a protest about about taxes, like the the, the rise in taxes. But it, it, it's not mentioned that necessarily that last year there have been protests of the Minga Indígena, which is a, kind of this uh, indigenous uh, organization. And, and, and kind of there have been already several protests against police brutality. Um, and, and I think that some, uh, somehow, in the, particularly in the, in the English-speaking press, that the elements have been Uh, kind of not put at the center because I, as far as I know, the the the, the taxes, the, the tax increase has 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 uh, has been moved away for now. But the the protest is still continuing. So so how could you describe what, what is happening now? Yeah. So thanks for having me. This is an awesome question. Uh, I'm excited to discuss this a little bit. Well, I was surprised really the first few days after the initial beginning of the protest reading in English language media. I remember I came across an article in America's Quarterly that was describing the protest as this kind of um, movement to frustrate the government's attempts at austerity due to coronavirus. And it was an interesting very, very different take from what I was seeing on social media in Colombia. It was essentially saying that protesters were putting at risk Colombia's investment ranking, okay, their rating rather, um, that is uh, relies that uh, results actually in a lot of foreign investment depending on how it fluctuates or not. And so this this article was specifically kind of undermining the protesters' argument that the tax reforms were bad and trying to portray the tax reforms as being positive to foreign investment in Colombia and in the long run, good to Colombia's financial success. That was a very, very different take from what I was seeing on Colombian social media at that time, especially among university students who have been a lot of the drivers of the protest movement. And so from there, I think there was a bit of a lag between U.S. media and Colombia's Uh, discourse on this subject. And it was, you know, several days before U.S. media began reporting that this was actually a much wider protest movement, not just focused on the tax reform, but also incorporating aspects of another protest movement, which is the Minga in Colombia, Colombia's indigenous protest movement, which has a lot of problems with the government right now, relating not just to indigenous rights, but also to the wider peace process, which they've articulated on a lot that the peace process And it's whether or not it's been upheld has uh, been a huge question in Colombia. And the people who are primarily being uh, murdered and being affected by the lack of security in Colombia right now are indigenous leaders, environmental leaders, and many of these other social activists in the country who are on the front line of this protest today. 
Yeah, I, I think it is it is quite interesting. I I, I also have seen uh, some coverage to to the to the student movement and the student uh, protests. I, I think that maybe uh, like it, it's true that in Latin America the number of of of, of, of of students enrolled in the higher education system has grown uh, significantly in the last 20 years. But the issue is many countries in Latin America, including my own Peru, uh, still have quite an informal economy. So um, that generates a lot of problems because it's, it's difficult to, to integrate in the in in, 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 in in kind of a professional setting. Well, well there are not that many um, uh, formal career opportunities and and even like uh, I, I was hearing from from uh, I think there are even elements within the the medicine uh, uh, you know the, the doctors unions which was were saying that you know like uh, um, that you know the the, the there were not uh, you know races despite you know like the, the overwork, which has been quite common, particularly in the pandemic, but uh, it, it is quite common in, in many public healthcare systems in, in in Latin America, which because they are underfunded, and and, and so that shows that that even kind of the, the the professionals that are employed and sometimes employed even by the state are are suffering a. Um, a kind of marginalization in some way of, of the advance. And, and I think it has to do with, with the very particular, I, I think, element in the, in the, in the Colombian political process that, that as soon as, 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 as social movement raised demands, uh, you know, the Colombian authorities, particularly ones that are more uh, in the right, uh, call, call them terrorists and, you know, that, and and this kind of try to associate them with 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 the FARC, with the LAN. So so I think that that generates a complexity that not it's not necessarily there everywhere. And 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 I think it it is very particular to the to the kind of of of, of, of protests that that we are seeing in, in Colombia. Yes, exactly. And I think that some people in in isolating this as a protest uh, regarding tax reform miss a huge point that is that this protest movement is also a rebuke of 20 years of Uribismo, that this is an entire movement that is attempting to raise awareness and to push back against what have been 20 consecutive years of the same line of government. Uh, I would say, though, that there were obviously a couple of years uh, when um, Juan Manuel Santos broke with Uribe. Uh, however, he was still the handpicked successor of Uribe, Alvaro Uribe. And so I think that the frustration here is that 20 years of the same line of governors of the country has created a lot of buildup of frustrations. And people are now seeing this as an opportunity to finally air those out. So that's why I think that uh, you can find people from so many sectors of society, health workers, indigenous leaders and community members, students, both public universities and private. That's amazing. I mean, public universities in Colombia have always been centers of protest movements. But we're also seeing private universities like the one I worked at in Barranquilla, Uninorte, that have been joining these protests 
in ways that are very significant uh, to the point that the students have even organized their own protest groups and social media accounts within private universities that are supporting the paro and that are supporting the protest movement. So this is something that is much wider now than it uh, originally was. And as Colombia approaches its election uh, in the following year, it's going to uh, weigh a lot on the debate surrounding that election and whether or not Uribismo will continue in power or whether power will be handed off to another political movement in Colombia. Yes, certainly there, there is a, a very curious scenario, as you mentioned. I think if something is, is, is being uh, tangential and I think central in, in, in the last developments uh, in Latin America is that, that some elements of society, uh, particularly in private universities, which, which generally tended to be le slightly less political than Uh, and, and in some countries, much much less political than than than, than the students of, of public universities were um, were being much more involved in in, in in several of the of the of the movements that have emerged in, in different parts of Latin America, and also kind of the electoral arena is, is kind of uh, generating a lot of interest because uh, like the results and. In in, 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 in in elections in, in, in Bolivia where, where the mass uh, came back to power or in the in the referendum in Chile where where the where the laugh was was show a really strong results uh, maybe are symbol of a shift that that, that, that people, Are, are kind of tired in, in many ways of, of, of the continuity of a lot of policies that, that were implemented in, in, in the 90s and, 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 and even like organizations like the EMF have been quite critical of, of, of those policies now. And, and Latin America is, is the most unequal region in the world. So that obviously generates a lot of, of frustration among many Many, many different sectors in society. Um, so, but my my question is, is 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 something that hasn't been that much mentioned in in in, in the in the English speaking media is the role of SMAT, which I think it is quite curious because in 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 Colombia is one of the few countries where there are elements of the police that technically are under the control of the of the military, and and I think particularly uh, regarding the case of, of, of police brutality with, with the several cases of, of deaths and, 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 and people injured, even, uh, you know, like uh, cases of rape and, and different cases of, of, of police violence, there, there is a, a lot signaling towards SMAT. At the same time, the Colombian government doesn't seem to, to be that concerned and, and, and And, and it's, it's kind of questioning the line of many international human rights organizations. So, so, so what could you say about SMAT and, and its role in this protest? So SMAT, even before these protests, was the target of a lot of criticism. Uh, it's been the target of a lot of criticism ever since really the early days of its creation. It's been around since 1999. And their role has been questioned in a lot of arenas uh, in Colombia because of their repressive tactics. Uh, 
a lot of in a lot of ways they represent a kind of militarized force. They are a riot police, but they do have stronger weaponry. They have tanks with water cannons. They have uh, launchers, rapid fire launchers for stun grenades and other projectiles. And even though the forces and the armaments that they have are non-lethal, supposedly, they have been known to kill many protesters in confrontations uh, with the use of these supposedly non-lethal weapons or through just careless tactics on the ground. And so uh, right now, the huge debate and a lot of the anger at Colombia, the Colombian government, is being specifically directed at that faction of their armed forces or uh, their police force. And so the ESMAT receives that those weapons in large part from um, uh, companies in the United States where they purchase them. And this has also caused a political uproar in some Latin American circles uh, in the United States. A lot of organizations focused on Latin American studies that these companies in the United States are supplying the ESMAT with this weaponry and that something needs to be done about this. So the United States also has a huge role uh, that it, it could uh, wield in this case uh, in terms of uh, cutting back on the ability of ESMA to purchase this weaponry, which has proved to be quite lethal in many instances, uh, especially with the killing of Dylan Cruz during the 2019 protests, which was a source of a lot of the, the underlying youth anger the fact that this young teenager was killed by their their riot police uh, who was acting nonviolently you know he was he was not a violent protester and uh, he was shot in the head by a projectile and killed and that projectile was claimed by Esmat to be non-lethal at the time and so these these series of killings by the Esmat have only aggravated the issue um, especially it has touched uh, a tone, has touched a note with a lot of Colombians who are affected by the conflict and by the false positive killings, which the government uh, has been found to have been responsible for between 2002 and 2010. Yeah, I think that that it's true. I think the, 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 the record on, on human rights of, of Uribismo has been quite poor. Um and as you mentioned, like Juan Manuel Santos, kind of for 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 a few periods, tried to to break with the Uribismo, and he his attempt was the the peace process, and 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 it seems that the peace process is doesn't necessarily work in a, as fine as, as 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 it could. Um, it kind of has been boycotted in some way by by Uribismo since the get go, and. And and I think that is generating a lot of concern, certainly, and 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 obviously also the the, the fact that um, I think it's quite curious the, the narrative around the, the the taxes because I think that I mean the the issue with with the uh, as far as I know, like I think a Peruvian political scientist mentioned that even El Espectador, which is a uh, a Colombian newspaper that is that leans clearly to the right uh, did an article about that. You know, if if uh, if Colombia were to tax the 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 Colombians who have money in the tax havens, they will basically generate the, the same money that that in taxing like the the middle class. Um, 
and and and, and particularly the middle class, which is much weakened in in, in this kind of uh, of pandemic effects. So uh, it is there have been some tax increases in several countries, including Chile under under Piñera, which is a right wing government. But these tax increases have been um, you know, of people that, that have, uh, you know, uh, uh, more than I think two or $3 million, I think. So obviously like it's not at, at that point, it's not the middle class, you know, it's obviously people that, that are quite wealthy. And, and that's, I think a, a very clear difference, which I think generates that, that obviously the the, the government vote and 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 not listening to 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 the demands of, of uh you know of political accountability but also not listening to to even other um conservative thinking that that the you know like there are other ways to 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 kind of uh, of have you know some some tax uh, money in order to 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 the government be being able to be funded, but uh, I, I think in, in all of these sections there is kind of the sense that that the Colombian government is against the people, and and there is kind of the sense that the that the Colombian government has betrayed the people, and and there was a, a BBC news in in in, um, in a Spanish like BBC News Mundo, I think it's it's how it's called its its program online. Um, uh, did uh, uh, an interesting report of, of the protests in, in Puerto Resistencia, I think, in, in Cali, and 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 it was really interesting what, what uh, a young woman said. Like she she said, like there are people that are asking uh, us why we are here, and and we are the generation that has nothing to lose. We don't have a house, we don't have a, a job. What do we have to lose? And and I think that that idea of, of of the government being being the enemy, being against Colombians, have have generated a sense that there is going to be a a very complex issue for the government to try to 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 calm the, the protest because it, it hasn't give give up on on its on its attitude in general, and and that only fuels the the, the protest to continue. So how how do you see that? Yes, so the ESMA ties into this very, very closely because the Colombian government's response to the protests has been heavy-handed by all accounts. Uh, analysis of the videos that have been taken of abuses of the ESMAD and Colombian National Police have shown the extent to which they're willing to go to suppress protesters. And the government's own words have revealed their feelings towards the protest movement which particularly their vocabulary has evolved around the word vandals. And this has been kind of a word that originally was, was being used uh, in the 2019 protests and you know possibly even before that to talk about people who take advantage of protests for criminal interests or just to cause chaos. But the government's definition of vandals has expanded in such a way that it has been used to characterize virtually anyone participating in, in large-scale protests or the larger Pato movement uh, that uh, has now gone on for a month. I mean, today, May 28th, it started April 28th. And so this idea of vandals has replaced another word that was popular, uh, popularly used by Uribe, which was terrorism. 
And this word has now kind of become the new threat that they are proposing to the Colombian people that is the threat to the Colombian patria, the homeland. And so terrorism is still something that the government has been using to to attack protesters by referring to their movement as an urban terrorist movement. But now they're using this word vandal as a euphemism. And this ties into Uribismo because Uribismo relies on a common enemy. It is a right-wing populist movement and they need an enemy in order for their movement, in order for their arguments to work. And so that enemy for so long has been the FARC, the terrorism. And it has been you know this idea that a Marxist terror group is coming for the Colombian people and that their only hope of uh, protection is in Uribismo. Now that the peace agreement, despite its many flaws and despite the fact that it is you know, hobbling along here um, and has barely made it the past few years. Uh, despite that, most of the FARC remains at peace. They have formed a political party, and it becomes more difficult to make the argument that Uribismo is necessary to protect Colombians against terrorism. So they have to find a new enemy, and that new enemy right now is being found in the idea that these protesters are all vandals, that they're going to destroy the Colombian economy, that they're out to get everyday Colombians who are trying to make a living. And so that's what they're relying on. That's their argument. And I think that argument is going to be really a crux of their political uh, ideology and their political um, vocabulary as they go forward into the 2022 elections. Yeah, I think it it is certainly something that, that also is seeing in Peru where, where also the people have accused uh, the, the current leftist presidential candidate Pedro Castillo of being um, of having uh, close ties with, with the Shining Path, despite that the the advisor of of Fujimori actually like Vladimir Montesinos literally was behind uh, the the selling of, of of arms of the Peruvian army to to the FARC actually, which was curious that. That a lot of supporters of Fujimori love to talk about terrorism, but but you know, like forget that element. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is it, it is quite um, it is a, a, a very potent force, and it is quite um, quite uh, useful in a rhetoric way. But at the same time, I, I'm not sure if people are are really buying the arguments now and. And I think that there is, uh, uh, but but I think there are, there are other elements which I think also permeate to do that. The the idea I think in the press of saying you know the in, in indigenous people are, are are marching against citizens and and it was kind of this idea also that uh, as you mentioned with the Minga with the indigenous organization of how indigenous people have been marginalized and have been, been, been seen treated as the other and, and as part of the other, the kind of the idea of terrorism is also associated to, to that other. And, and, and this idea, it, it, it plays a lot on, on, on I think, the, the, the kind of marginalization. I think in general, Latin America, um, the indigenous and Afro-Latino populations have been much heavily impacted by by the by the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic because uh, many of them had informal work. So uh, that obviously it, it's it's not 
it's like particular street sellers, not that they are going to to telework their way out of the pandemic. So, and 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 with a lot of kind of the complexities that that, that almost all governments were unable to to kind of stop in any meaningful way, the, the pandemic has kind of put them uh, the, those populations in a much more marginalized way. So, so how do you do you see this? This element of, of the marginalization of, of, of indigenous people and and Afro-Colombian people in in the in the kind of of of, of as a, as a central force in the in this protest. Yeah, definitely. This has been a huge source of a lot of anger and resentment directed at the government for its its response to the conflict that has affected mostly these regions populated by indigenous communities and by Afro-Colombians. Specifically, we're talking about the Pacific coast of Colombia, the departments of Choco and Cauca, which have been flashpoints of conflict and violence in the last few years since the signing of the peace accords. And so these departments feel as if they remain in the same uh, state of conflict that Colombia was in in the early 2000s, in the 1990s. They still are feeling the effects of brutal violence and of widespread um, criminality in this region. And the government doesn't seem either capable or willing um, to put an end to that and to fully implement a peace uh, in the entire national territory of Colombia. They've achieved peace to a large degree, uh, comparatively, in many large urban areas, But these peripheral regions haven't felt the difference. And for them, the conflict is very much still alive today. Uh, if you look at um, killings of community leaders, if you look at rates of violence, uh, and even just the logistics of it all, considering that the Pacific ports like Buenaventura have been huge sources of corruption, have been places where drug trafficking has remained rampant. Uh, and so these problems are being felt mostly by upper Colombians and indigenous people in Colombia. And so that inequality, that racial inequality is playing now a large role um, that has been expressed with the Minga movement and other movements in Colombia. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how that develops in the coming years. That's something um, that I think will, will should be watched uh, in the future and how that will have an impact on political movements in the country. Because the main supporters of those movements for the most part, from what I've seen, have been young people. A lot of young people see those movements as being very valuable to the future of the country and to achieving a widespread peace in all of Colombia, not just in Bogota, not just in the large urban areas, but of expanding uh, a sort of peace and a sort of uh, calm to the entire country. And so young people are also playing a role in that because they are breaking with the previous generation's uh, form of thinking of the political situation in the country. Whereas the older generations, they're, they're kind of still in this mindset of terrorism being the number one enemy. Younger people are starting to question that and they're starting to see, wait a minute, you know, in the early 2000s, the Colombian government killed thousands of people with with no evidence that they were involved in terroristic activities simply to reach quotas in many cases of uh, kills for each of the combat units, which was known as the false positive scandal. And they're questioning, you know, wait a minute, why are we labeling only certain sectors of the society as terrorists when our own government has been complicit in acts of terrorism against innocent civilians? 
So the young people are kind of pushing back against that conceptualization, and they're seeing a lot of value in indigenous and Afro-Colombian movements that are also pushing back against this idea that Colombia is at peace. Colombia may be at peace in Bogota, but if you look at Choco, if you look at Buenaventura, there is definitely not peace in those regions. Yeah, that is a, an interesting reflection. Also, here in Peru, the the, the situation in, in rural areas is quite quite bad. Uh, there there are constantly attacks by different actors. Um, the and and it's it's very complex because some actors are, are linked to 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 an offshoot of the Shining Pad, like the uh, MPCP. But also are, are are linked with with the with the, some drug cartels, which um, uh, also there are cases where it is kind of illegal logging, so it, it kind of like uh, you know like and and also cases of of land trafficking, like people that just want the land for for whatever activity and and try to expel populations that many times are are in the in particular in the Peruvian case are, are uh, Amazonian indigenous and 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 other times Andean Andean indigenous but that they have moved to to the Amazon to or to so so uh, and and I think it is it is quite a complex uh, a complex situation I think that that this is, is certainly sometimes I, I feel that the, the particular like the foreign correspondents uh, they they kind of know more obviously about about the capitals because that's where they are based. But but I, suddenly there are a lot of, of of very tragic developments going on in, in the interior of, of, of not just Colombia or, or Peru, but sadly many Latin American countries. Um, so other issue I want to 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 talk with you was the. Was the issue of the feminist and and, and LGBTQ movements? Uh, I think that there is kind of this this conception um, from outside of Latin America that since the Catholic Church is is is, is losing members, uh, like Colombian society or Latin American societies in general are going to become much more secularized. But but. The, the curious issue that I, I, I have seen in many countries is that as the Catholic Church has lost members, uh, sometimes uh, the, the, the particularly Christian Protestants and particularly between them, like uh, Presbyterian forms of uh, evangelism have, have gained ground. And some of them do have a much more socially conservative rhetoric than, than, than even uh, many elements of the Catholic Church. So... I do think it is complex to to, to have uh, very defined narratives, but uh, at the same time, one could say that, that despite some of, of these uh, developments, there the the feminist movement and, and the and the LGBTQ movements around Latin America are are becoming much more visible and 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 kind of uh, uh, and, and active in in, in broader protests that, that are not just about. Uh, um, the their own causes, but but kind of a, a broader fights for for a better society. So, how do you do you see this this process? 
Yeah, definitely. I think that these movements have been very visible on the forefront of the protest to a point that they have even pushed a lot of the internationalization of this protest movement. Uh, for example, I shared a video of some queer protesters at a rally in Bogota, uh, voguing, that was in turn shared 30,000 times and liked 100,000 times on Twitter, mostly by people outside of Colombia, a lot of them in North America, in Europe, and even in Asia. And so people outside of Colombia have been able to identify more and understand better the protests because of the internationalization that those groups have achieved. Uh, and I think that that has been very interesting to watch, just the the uptick in interest in Colombia because the uh, the visibility that feminist and LGBTQ protesters have had in the movement. What I what I was going to ask you was the, the there is the, the 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 this the idea that that some unions uh, at least formally have have been uh, planning to to have talks with the government, but some argue that the the, the protest movement in general doesn't necessarily feel um, represented by by them. So. So how do you see this development? Do you think there there is something of, of true in there? What 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 level of representation that does the unions have and and and, and or 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 lack in, in in some way? So I can't speak to exactly which groups of protesters feel that the the talks haven't represented them, but I have seen that a lot that, that has been replicated by a lot of people that they feel that the talks won't result of any change and that anything will result in the movement being sold out to interests of go the government or of other um, media groups or what have you that have a lot of power in the country. And so right now, I think the movement is going to continue at least until there is some sort of substantial uh, reform in either the ESMAD um, or perhaps even will go all the way until the elections in the following year when there will be finally a referendum on whether or not Woody Bismo can remain in power or whether um, another political movement will surge in Colombia. And so I think that we're looking at a very long-term protest movement Uh, the, the government simply isn't willing to completely um, uh, give in to. They're not willing to meet the demands of the protesters, which have now extended to beyond what uh, the government is willing to negotiate. And many protesters are calling for the resignation of Duque, which the government is obviously not even considering at this moment. And so I think that they're in a, a standstill. They're in a deadlock. Uh, that doesn't appear to be going anywhere. And on the protester side, I think that there there is a little bit of um, disagreement within the protesters among themselves about what their final end goal is, whether it's Duca's resignation, whether it goes beyond Duca's resignation, or whether it's something uh, more attainable than that. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I also think that... Um... Many times it's quite complex to to understand it, but but in in some way I think it is quite clear that 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 a lot of the social movements in Latin America have kind of some disputes with the with the labor movement, 
and I think that some elements of the labor movement are 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 kind of have sold out their fights. Uh, to put a, a very, I think, timely example, uh, Pedro Castillo, who is the, 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 the current uh, leftist uh, presidential candidate, which is currently leading the polls in, in, in Peru, um, he comes from a faction that challenged the, the leadership of, of, of the of the SUTEP, which is the, the teachers' union. So, uh, I, I mean, that is quite curious, certainly. So, and 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 a, and a show that, despite, for example, the the SUTEP uh, is uh, is led by by an organization linked to to the left. Uh, it is still um, kind of has uh, has been criticized for 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 different parts uh, for more conservative uh, elements in in the broader society, but also by 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 the kind of more rural base of of of, of teachers who, who have been quite critical of of, of the leadership on some issues, and and I think it is a very interesting what you mentioned because that possibility of a long-term protest was more or less what 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 there was in 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 the cards in 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 chile and i think the the the, the solution there that, that piñera proposed was the referendum it's difficult to know what could happen in 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 Colombia, because the issue with Piñera is that there were some elements within the Chilean right that were fairly more moderate than than, than the ones in, in the Colombian right. So um, that is a, the, the 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 central difference, I think. And and they were more willing to to give up, make some concessions. And in in the Colombian case, it seems that they have been a very heavily handed, and and even. They are questioning now, like human rights organizations. They they don't want even them to to come to to assess the the situation in Colombia. So, um, in the case that that there is a, that the solution will be in some ways a, an electoral solution. What do you do you think that that, that the protest movement could go in an electoral way? Do you think they they have a candidate in mind? Do you think it, 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 there is a, an element of of, of, of this, we, we will still think that that uh, that maybe the electoral movement was is going to be a waste of time, and that, that a new politician is going to to betray them, like like many other politicians in the past. Or or, or how do you, do you see this this kind of developments going on? So there are a number of ways out, and not all of them are um, contingent on this election in the upcoming year. I think specifically. Uh, looking at the violence that have been that has been seen in cities like Cali and Tuluá and in Popayán in the last few days, and even just within the last hour in Popayán, just the magnitude of violence in those cities, uh, and also burnings of public buildings of the um, mayoralty of uh, I believe it was Popayán was burned a week ago, and then following that was the courthouse in Tuluá. And today, it looks like several government buildings have been torched again in Popayan. I think that we should be seriously considering the possibility that the Colombian government declares a form of state of emergency. Specifically, they have a state of emergency uh, that's called Estado de Comisión Interna, 
or, or a state of internal commotion, which gives the government sweeping powers, among other things, which could include postponing elections. And so I think that in that sort of scenario, uh, we are looking at a much different outlook for Colombia in the next few years. It doesn't include an electoral uh, outlet for the Colombian people to voice their opinions. And that could be very dangerous, I think. And uh, that should be really seriously considered as a possibility, especially as these protests seem to only escalate. I think if you look at what's going on in Popayán right now, what we're seeing is far worse than what we were seeing in the first days of the protests in Bogotá. We're seeing, you know, government buildings being burned, widespread looting, and heavy-handed response from Colombia's ESMAD forces. Yeah, I I think it is quite curious because now you you remind me of of, of, of the discussion that that I think there has been slightly on, on the media where where does uh, Gustavo Petro is going to play on this? So, so for those who are not that aware, he's a uh, um, I think probably the most popular politician on the left uh, in in Colombia and. And probably a presidential candidate. Do you, do you think he he's going to to be benefited of, of, of this, or do you think that the the the, the, that the protest movement wants someone more radical, someone different, someone, or, or or what do they they want? This kind of Gustavo Petro has a lot to gain right now. Uh, he's looking at really good numbers in the polls. But we're also talking about an environment which allows for social movements and political movements to sprout up and to gain rapid support. I think that Peru, um, more than anyone, is evidence of that, looking at the <laughs> the way that um, Castillo was able to surge in polls in the final weeks. And I think that Colombia is an environment where that's very possible, that in the final months of this election, that we could see other political movements surge and gain support where Gustavo Petro and El Uribismo haven't been able to articulate um, a, a plan or a kind of uh, response that is adequate to the Colombian people. But Gustavo Petro right now has everything to gain from this. Uh, and if he can articulate his points in a way that convince uh, larger sectors of Colombian society, not just students, not just uh, the Minga movement uh, and traditional areas of left-wing support. If he can convince larger movements in business sectors, the, sec the business sector of Colombian society to support him to at least some degree, he's looking at uh, really good chances, I think, in the upcoming elections. But I was, in order to, to end, I was going to, to ask you... Um... Uh, how do you, do you see that that that, that Colombia society at large, the, the elements of Colombia that aren't participating at, at the protests, are, are seeing the protests? Do, do they are are there to to which degree the narrative of the government has has uh, has been embraced or or, or rejected? In my experience, I've seen few sectors of Colombian society willing to outright support the government. I think there have been a lot of people willing to criticize the protesters to say that their demands are too far-fetched, to say that their tactics are hurting Colombian society and causing more polarization. But those same people oftentimes are also willing to criticize the Colombian government and say that the Colombian government is at fault to a certain degree for the situation of the country. 
And so really you're looking at just the core supporters of Uribismo, uh, largely those who are uh, in the business class in large cities, uh, owners of those large businesses that have dealings uh, that are affected by government policy and that have been in large part have uh, enjoyed a lot of um, uh, growth in the last few years. And also, of course, the media in Colombia, which has remained very supportive and if if not only supportive, but in many cases has radicalized to a point that they uh, some media outlets are no longer willing to criticize the government in any way and have uh, really taken radical positions against protesters like La Semana. Looking at their coverage has been uh, remarkable to see how they have went from just being a right-wing media outlet to really being a sort of uh, clickbait media outlet that is just out to undermine the protesters in every way they can. Uh, and so apart from those core support groups, uh, which will ultimately be their best chance of electoral victory, they've struggled to to find uh, supporters in the rest of Colombian society, I think, uh, especially among young people. So I would I will conclude, I guess, by saying that the, the next few months a lot of what is going to to decide the future of this um, political movement will be whether or not the government decides to initiate a sort of a state of emergency, which is still on the table, uh, and whether or not the protesters are able to sort of articulate specific demands that uh, the government is willing to negotiate on. I think those two questions still are yet to be answered, uh, and the government has kind of dodged uh, you know, a lot of questions about whether or not they're going to allow human rights investigators to come into the country, about whether or not they will declare a sort of state of emergency. And so there's still some questions that we we aren't sure how we're going to they're going to play out uh, and that will affect in a huge part how this is all going to turn out in the next year. Yeah, that's certainly a, a very, uh, a very long term uh, uh, vision to, to, to what the, the developments could be. So uh, thank you, Alex. Uh, so before we go, uh, where could, could people find you? Because it, it, as you mentioned, that was the video that, that, that was the reason why I, why I find you, the, the video that you shared about the protest. It was really quite impressive. And I think it, it kind of... Uh, Uh, kind of show kind of the motions, the the, the kind of uh, the the imperative of the protests that, that were so so uh, so deep to the to the feelings of, of the people and, and try to to express a lot of 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 what they are uh, having to live and to 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 confront in this moment. So so where the people can find it. You guys can find me on Twitter, Alex Bear TV, and also on Instagram. Uh, my content ranges from everything from talking about U.S. culture, language, and politics to also looking at Latin America with a specific focus on Colombia. Okay, that, that's that's really great. You you always share interesting stuff. So before we go, I'm gonna put the uh, the song uh, by Mika Martini called Wine. <laughs> 